And let me just pray for the Word of God this morning. Father, we're just so very thankful uh, to be together in your presence as uh, part of the larger family around the world, Lord. We're thankful that um, you have not left us as orphans. We're thankful that we come as children who can say, Abba, Father. And we're thankful, Lord, that uh, you uh, reveal yourself to us, that we have your word which speaks to our hearts. We ask now this morning that uh, this word would speak to each heart as only you can through the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for uh, this vessel. I truly need to be humbled and uh, emptied of myself that the Holy Spirit might speak with, uh, with a conviction and a power that comes from the Lord himself. And so we pray now for your spirit to touch each heart as only you can. The words that are spoken from this mouth will be taken and used for your purposes and for your glory and working towards transforming us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the fourth week of our series on the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to open today uh, with a quote from Carolyn Ahrens uh, from her book on the Lord's Prayer called The Universe in 57 Words. So here's the quote. It's in your outline. When Jesus' friends asked him how they should pray, he gave them and us the brilliantly succinct guide we call the Lord's Prayer. In a feat of cosmic engineering, Jesus managed to gather the entire waterfront of human need and the vast ocean of God's plans for the universe in just 57 Greek words. We can pray these 57 words or their English equivalent for a lifetime and never exhaust them. See, and that's our hope as we preach this series, is that we will all find when we pray these words, they'll never be exhausted, that they will always continue to expand our prayers into the many aspects uh, that this prayer goes into, and that we would always be able to come back to this prayer to ground ourselves in, in the truths that are all part of who we are foundationally as those who know the Lord, looking for his purposes and his plans and to address the, the many, many needs that we have. So let's um, stand together and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as we open the sermon this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted to put up, uh, just as uh, helping us remember where we've been, just a, a diagram of the Lord's Prayer, just for us to get a sense of that, if you could put that up. So and as you can see, as the Lord's Prayer is diagrammed here, it starts with His presence, our Father in Heaven. As Josh preached uh, the last two weeks on praise, the hallowed be your name and the purpose, your kingdom come. Uh, this idea that the beginning of this prayer is all focused um, on God himself. And it's a little bit different than what our hearts would normally pray if we have a tendency ourselves to be thinking about ourselves when we go to prayer. But as you can see, as, as he leads us in prayer, it's, it's going to God. It's, it's bringing glory 
to the Lord. It's this idea that we bring to Him first, and then certainly, as a part of that, He will meet our needs. And what's interesting about this is, is that uh, John Calvin, I think, was the first person to point this out, is that uh, it literally is the same uh, basic design as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments start with that looking at God, looking at our hearts being before God, this vertical relationship with God, and then the vertical relationship with ourselves and those needs that we have. So we see in the Lord's Prayer the same type of thing going on, and it's just a wonderful way as Jesus is teaching us to pray. You can take the diagram down now. Thank you, Adriel. So today we're going to be looking at the third petition in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that idea of your will, God's will, and I think sometimes it can be very confusing for people even thinking about God's will, but we see God's will in two ways. And if you could put this up, just a simple diagram to explain that, okay? The two wills of God, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of his law. So we have the sovereign will of God, also called the secret will or the will of decree. Okay, so God's sovereign will includes God's hidden decrees by which he governs everything that happens. We find out God's sovereign will when events actually happen. Okay, so we have those things that are happening that we, we have no sense they're going to happen, we have no control of. And then you have the moral will, also called revealed will, commanded will, the will of precept. God's moral will expresses God's general desire concerning things and usually contains God's commands about our moral conduct. And, and today, we're going to be looking mainly at our ability to respond to God's revealed will. And let me start with a story to sort of give you a, a way that this works. So we're in, you know, you're traveling into all kinds of different countries now, and when you do, each country now asks for something different for COVID. So, you know, you fly into Amsterdam, and they want a PCR test. You fly into South Africa, and they want to know about your vaccinations. They want a record of your vaccinations. And so you're going into these different countries. You have to have everything ready to go. Thankfully, uh, they're not coming up with any surprises that have changed over the couple of days that you may be flying, uh, and you get into these countries. But on the way back, the United States, I think, has the toughest. They give you a 24-hour window to get an antigen test that says you are negative, okay? Now, Barb and I, all of a sudden realizing that our flight is going to take 24 hours, the full process, we're thinking, oh, goodness, we've got to do this at the airport. We've got to take this test at the airport just before we get our flight. Now, all of a sudden, we have high anxiety because we know about these tests. Sometimes there's false positives. Sometimes uh, you don't know, but you've been going. You may not have symptoms, and all of a sudden, you're testing positive. And if that happened, here we are at the airport, and now we're going to have to quarantine in South Africa for who knows how many days. So there is a level of high anxiety as we go to the airport. And here we are. We come in, and there's another couple sitting down. We get our test, and the guy comes out, and he says, Giuliani's, you're negative. When we just go, praise the Lord. And the couple next to it goes, hallelujah. 
And we're like, amen. And uh, we started talking a little bit. But there's such anxiety with that. And here's, here's why I wanted to bring the story up. There was two things going on there. There's God's sovereign will, right? In other words, we have no control over that test. So it could have come out positive And we would have been like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do now? And then that would have went to how do we deal with his revealed will? His revealed will says that we need to trust him in this, that this is part of his plan. So how are we going to handle that? Are we going to be angry? Are we going to be frustrated? Are we going to say, no, we trust God. Let's roll with this and see God has a plan for us, right? So you see how we have sovereign will and we have revealed will. A lot of times we're dealing with them in different situations. But what we're going to be looking at today in particular, as thy will be done, we're going to be looking at how we as God's people deal with the revealed will of God. Here's what John Stott says in his quote. The will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect, for it is the will of our Father in heaven, who is infinite in knowledge, love, and power. It is, therefore, folly to resist it and wisdom to discern, desire, and do it. As his name is already holy and he's already king, so already his will is being done in heaven. What Jesus bids us pray is that life on earth may come to approximate more nearly to life in heaven. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, what hinders God's will from being done on earth? And so there's two things we're going to be looking at. The first is Satan's rebellion and then human rebellion. So if we look at Isaiah 12, 14, verses 12 through 14, let me read them to you. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, one of the greatest creations of God, the star of the morning, beautiful, how you are cut down to the ground. You are weakened, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, now listen to this, for you have said in your heart, now listen to these words, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will might be like the Most High. Do you think he's willing things there? He's been made as a creature who's able to choose, and this is what he's choosing. He wants to be God, okay? And here's the thing. Instead of condemning Satan instantly, God withheld his judgment in order to allow the rebel to try every ounce of his own wisdom and every possible course of action open to him so that it might be demonstrated through the course of history that nothing good will ever come of any will that is in opposition to God's. Get that thought for a second. That's what we've seen throughout history. When Satan rebelled, the cohesion of the universe and the way it was created was broken. And we see that in, certainly in Romans 8 where it speaks about creation groaning. But then God does something else. He creates humanity in his image. And creating humanity in his image, it also means that human beings have the ability to will. What does that mean? Well, here's a quick definition of that, okay? The capacity or faculty by which a human being is able to make choices and determine his or her own behaviors in spite of influence external to the person. We are able to make choices despite what might be externally happening to us. We know that, right? If we just take the persecuted church, for example, 
They were basically saying, if you do not do this, you're going to be persecuted. And yet, as they thought, considered, and made a decision, they decided that it would be better to be persecuted than to do that, right? We do that. So the will without exception does what the mind and heart tell it to do. Our will never acts contrarily to our mind and heart. A human being is a self-motivating agent. We got that, right? So then we have Genesis 3. We have the story of Adam and Eve. They're told what to do in the garden, and they disobey. They rebel. They eat the fruit from the tree of good and evil. And what happens? We know immediately. They begin to feel shame. They have basically put themselves in the place of God. And now God comes to them and God speaks to them. And as a result of this, there is a curse. There's separation from God. There's wills now that are not able to come to God. That will is now corrupt. And we see that in Scripture. And that will is now seeking self. It's God of its own life. It's now out for its own name, its own kingdom, and its own will. Do you see how that progression goes as we think about that? And so all those who are born of Adam and Eve inherit their corrupt nature. It says in the Scripture in Psalm 51, David says, I was born in sin. He was born in sin. We are all born that way. Romans 3 tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of our natures are rebelling against God naturally, and so we are all looking for our own name, our own kingdom, and our own will. Isn't that what we see in our world around us? Is that not what we see? Why wars are wars? why violence comes, why there's broken relationships. We can go on and on and on because it's about us, our will, our name, our kingdom. So this is where we're at. And this is the way the world is going forward until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes in the flesh. Jesus becomes human and as a human perfectly obeys the will of God. He shows us, he models for us, he is the illustration of humanity in the way it should be. So Jesus lives out God's will on earth. Listen to what he says in John 4, 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And here's how we see that. You read the Gospels and you see Jesus doing it, living out the will of God. Even as a young man, when he went to the temple and his parents were so upset because he left, when they came to him and basically said, we don't want you to do that anymore, he obeyed his parents. And we move on from that. When we see him now beginning his ministry, he goes to be baptized and John the Baptist says, I should not be baptizing. He says, yes, but to fulfill the law, we will be baptized. He goes into the desert and he's in the wilderness. And as he speaks words out of God's word to refute the evil one. And then we see him live his life out. It's the way of love. We see him coming to people. We see him reaching out in miracles. We see him speaking words of truth that are so powerful. Oh, it's just an amazing to see. 
This is what he does on earth. Read the Gospels and you see true humanity on display in Jesus as he does the will of the Father. He says in John 8, For I always do what pleases him. And then, on the night before he dies, in the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what he says in Luke 22, verses 41 through 42. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus establishes the kingdom by praying these words. Seeking first the kingdom, taking up the cross, dying for others in a complete obedience to God. Philippians says he became obedient to death. Remember, Jesus was God and man, but he became obedient to death to do the will that would bring salvation. Because it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. And here it is. The opposite of my name, the opposite of my kingdom, the opposite of my will. This was all for those who would believe, who needed the blood and sacrifice of the one who was perfect and sinless, who always did the will of God, so that they could then have reconciliation and forgiveness and adoptions as sons and daughters of the living God. Hallelujah. It is in this particular thing then we begin to see people who come to the Lord are born again, renewed from within, able to desire and learning to do God's will. You see, this is where it is. This is the door that's been opened. This is where you and I are right now. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are new creations. Romans 8 tells us that we receive the spirit of Jesus and his kingdom as adopted sons and daughters. Ephesians 1 tells us that we are now sealed with the Holy Spirit. Our hearts have changed from stone-cold willfulness against God's will to teachable willingness and growing desire to do God's will. Have you experienced that in your life? I'll never forget, like, when I came to the Lord and I was all excited and I made this prayer, but then things just started happening. I didn't, I like, I wasn't, I didn't want to listen to the music that I was listening to before. It was like, it was nasty. I, I, I you know, I began to do things that just like, Wait a second, I'm going to go ask my aunt, my uncle, my mom and dad, I'm going to ask them for forgiveness. Why am I doing this? Like, there's crazy stuff going on. But it was the will, it was that teachable spirit, it was the Holy Spirit beginning to will God's will in me. And I wasn't this stubborn, willful person who, there was no way, they were the ones who were wrong. There's no way I'll ever humble myself in front of them. They don't even know what they're talking about. 
And this is what God has done through His Spirit. But it's not natural for us to just do God's will all the time, right? We still have what they call the flesh. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil still working in this struggle as the Spirit is in us working to transform us to be more like Jesus. So we ask the question, how can we know and live out of God's will in our lives? How can we know and live out of God's will in our lives? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And, you know, we have some people who, when you talk with them, it's like, oh, I know God's will. God told me to do that. God told me to do this. God told me to do that. Whenever I hear somebody say that, I'm very suspicious. Very. See, uh, we can be tempted to believe we can know God's will by a variety of impressions or urges, dreams, pangs of conscience, but all of them are still subjective. It's all about me. It's all about me thinking about what I want and then basically saying, well, this is God's will. This is what I want. God's now just told me that's his will, so I'm going to tell you this is what God's told me to do. But, but you have to understand, what can we really trust and when we do this, it leads us to more confusion, it leads to disappointment, and certainly leads to other things that can be very destructive. So how then do we do this? How then do we now with the Holy Spirit in us and having a desire to do God's will, having a, a willingness in our hearts, how then can we move to know that we're doing God's will? And I, it's, it's simple, but it's also very much something that we can lose quickly. We need to be instructed by God's Word. See, because it's God's Word that reveals to us the very things that are on the heart of God, the very things that are the will of God. So in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Basically what he's saying, Scripture preached, Scripture read, Scripture interpreted, Scripture applied, Scripture hidden in our hearts, lived out in our lives. Here's what David says in Psalm 32, 8 through 10, sort of, sort of the same type of thing Josh was reading out of Psalm 143. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing life surrounds the one who trusts in him. See that? You see that? He will instruct us in the way we should go. But we do have a stubborn heart at times. We can be like the horse and the mule, but we need to come back again. And the key in that is, do I trust God? Do I trust this word? Now, here's the thing. This word is not going to be one for one every decision I make. Like, um, oh, I need to read, where, what shoes should I choose? Uh, well, maybe I need to find in there what clothes I should be wearing or, or, or what job I should be having. But no, it's, it's not necessarily that. And I know sometimes people like to go in and try to look at it that way. 
But it's, it's, it's something more profound, this word. It's about principles that are laid out in the word. And it's these principles, as we grab a hold of them in our heart, that begin to influence the way we begin to think about things and begin to change our worldview and transform us to be thinking more and more like Christ and thinking more and more like God. And Jesus gave us some cornerstone guiding principles, right? When he summed up the law and the prophets with the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you begin to think about decision-making, run it through that grid. Begin praying out of this deep sense in my loving God and loving others as I pray about my decision-making. There is a principle of love throughout the Scripture that is clear. To serve and not be served. How do I then make decisions out of that as I pray? I mean, we can go on. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. How does that affect my decision-making in relationships? Think about that for a second. Take 1 Corinthians 13, the description of love. And now you have an issue with somebody. Take that out and begin reading that while you're trying to write a letter rebuking these people. And you might find that you're being rebuked by that. You see, these are the things that God begins to do as we begin thinking about his will. And moves on from that principle of love. How about this? Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where they'll be destroyed, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Whoa, what are those treasures in heaven? We know that the treasures in heaven are people. People are more important than things. How then, as I pray that, that that makes decisions on the things that I do, things that I might buy, what I might want to do with people? Begin to be influenced as you pray through these principles. No one can serve two masters, God or mammon. Oh, Lord, help me, because I really want that. The only way to get that is more money. But, Lord, I need to pray, because am I serving that or am I serving you? And I'm serving you, Lord. Help me to know what that looks like. What is your will? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What? Well, Wait a second, I got my own kingdom to worry about. But no, as I begin praying, seek first his kingdom. How does that change my perspective on what I'm looking for in my life, what I'm looking for in my family? So these are the things that we want to be doing. We want to know God's will. The Spirit is moving that in us. But there's these wonderful principles we begin praying out of. I love what George Mueller says. To ascertain the Lord's will, we ought to use scriptural means. Prayer, the word of God, and his spirit should be united together. We should go to the Lord repeatedly in prayer and ask him to teach us by his spirit through his word. You see, the two go together. It's a dialogue. It's a relationship. And it's a relationship in which God himself works in us that we might know his will and then we're empowered through the spirit as we pray to do what we don't naturally want to do. 
to surrender in a way that we would not naturally surrender. But now the Spirit is at work in us, making us more like Jesus. And as He does that, we begin to do things that we would not normally do. I, you know, Josh was with the youth group. I, I remember early on working with the youth group, and I just remember so many ways that God just challenged me in this way. You know, I remember we did, uh, one year we did a hoagie sale. And uh, part of that hoagie sale was, is that we were going to deliver the hoagies to everybody's house. Well, not only did only about five kids show up to do the hoagies, but we had about 50 houses to deliver to. And here I was, the only one who had a car. Oh, Lord. Well, I can't say that I was the perfect willful man. I think I grumbled and complained the whole way because I had to do this myself, right? And then the principles begin to come. Serve and not be served. This is a way of loving. And my flesh is resisting it. And I'm in the car and I, I just, I can't get out of the car to go, go home because I know as soon as I go into the door, if my heart hasn't changed, I am just going to be this like person complaining the whole way. So I'm in the car and I'm praying and doesn't the spirit then begin to work and say, this is what it's all about to serve. If you want to serve in my kingdom, this is what it's all about. This is love. This is you loving the kids and loving that. Oh, Lord, help me. Is this what it's going to be like to be in youth ministry? I'm done. But the reality is, just a small sample, but through my life, this is the way God's worked in so many things. The flesh keeps, but no, the spirit, as you read, as you pray, the spirit begins to work. And that's why we need to have the word and prayer. Because it's not just the word, but I now pray and the spirit's unleashed to do what I can't do in me. So that's why, like, every day I pray this prayer, and I'll I'll lay it out to you. It's Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. See that? Continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father. I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell, right? So what do I do in the morning? Lord, I take this prayer out and I say, Lord, Lord, Give me spiritual wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to live a life worthy as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a brother, as a pop, as an uncle, as a nephew, as a cousin, as a friend, as a neighbor, as an overseer, director, shepherd, pastor, preacher, teacher, counselor. Every morning I lay this before the Lord. I don't have the knowledge of God's will but I lay it out before him. And I know as I pray that prayer, I am honoring God by saying, I am willing, make me willing and able to do your will, Lord. In all of these things that you have given me as blessings in my life.
This is what we do. And there are times, brothers and sisters, right? This is not an instantaneous process, right? It's not. It's, it's work. It's work. It's going back again and back again. You know, I, I, early on, I guess I was in my mid-30s, I started having anxiety attacks, and I'd be up at night, and I'd be praying, and, and, and I was just crying out to the Lord, you know, Lord, and, and the Spirit began saying to me, this is all about you, Ange. You see, the reason you're like this is because you're thinking so much about yourself, you can't think about anybody else. He began to challenge me in that prayer life, and finally said, you know, there's that woman you met in North Philadelphia, and she needs help down there in North Philadelphia. Now, why don't you, rather than worrying about yourself and being so anxious, go down and serve her. Go down and ask her what she needs. I was, the spirit was moving. So I went down and I, I said to Miss Dawkins, I said to her, listen, I, I don't even know why I'm down here. The spirit sort of met you, and, but is there a way that we can help you? And she said, oh, I've been waiting for someone to ask me that question. And she was running a Bible study for children in a high rise down there at Fairhill. And she said, could you run this Bible study? And I was like, okay, the Holy Spirit opened this door. I said, sure. And so I went back to the youth group and I said, you're all going down with me. But that began the ministry. And that ministry is now over 30-some years, us working down there in the city with different things and so many things that happened over the years. But then... God began to open more doors as we stepped into, as I began stepping into that, then there were teams in, the, in, in like the inner city, and then there were teams out in the United States, and then there were international teams overseas. So like I could tell you this is what's going on in Eswatini. It was a process. It didn't just happen overnight. And it was the same thing with Jesus. It was a process. We see Jesus understanding what the word said about him and what his role was, but ultimately, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's when it all hit him. Like, this is what's really going to happen. Lord, I now see fully, and can you take this cup from me? But not my will, your will be done. And we're here today, saved, because that was the prayer that needed to be prayed. And there are times, brothers and sisters, as God is revealing his will to us, we find it difficult to surrender. Isn't that true? We find it difficult to surrender. There are things I know the Spirit continues to do, and I'm like, I like that. I'm not giving that up. Nope, you're not really saying that to me, Lord. I really enjoy that. Or I don't want to give that up. That might be a part of my identity I don't want to give up. Or we, there's so many ways that that happens, right? And as I was reading this book, uh, the, uh, Carol Aaron's book, she, she had this really, I think, good exercise, especially for those times when you find it difficult to surrender. And, and I have it here. And if you want it later, I can certainly send it to you. But it's called the Palms Down, Palms Up Prayer. You know, find a comfortable place to sit, take a few minutes and a few deep breaths to center yourself and become aware of God's loving presence. Imagine that you're holding the matter of concern in your hands. Clench your fist to represent any tension you feel around this issue. 
Then as a symbol of your willingness, rather than your ability, to surrender this matter, open your hands and place your palms down on your lap. Pray honestly as you can, perhaps something like, Lord, I am not yet able to fully let this go, but I am willing to be willing. I am relinquishing the idea that I can do this on my own and turning my inability to surrender over to you. When you feel ready, turn your palms upward to indicate your willingness to receive from God. Again, keep your prayers honest. Only you can give me the grace and growth I need to be able to surrender. I am open to receiving what you have for me in your perfect time. She goes on to say, now, don't think every, everything's going to happen overnight. You have to continue to pray these things, right? You continue to ask, seek, and knock. But I love the way that idea of the palms, clinching, open, surrendering. These are things that we need to do. I've actually started doing this over the last couple weeks. And, you know, I can't say there's been some major change in my life. You don't see a halo over my head. And I'm not getting ready to lift up somewhere. But I do believe that God is at work because I truly believe that this is a prayer that honors him as we pray to him that we would do his will. And as we do this, we will not be conforming to the pattern of this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Isn't this what Romans 12 tells us? Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is why I love what Peter Kreft says in Fundamentals of the Faith. Listen to these words. What we pray for this in this petition is the most beautiful noble, joyful, wonderful, glorious, and desirable thing in the world. In fact, more desirable than the whole world, heaven. Heaven on earth. Alas, you say, we do not see this glory yet. Oh, but we do. In the fact that there is a thing we can see right here and now, though not with eyes of the body, that is even more glorious than the symbol, the reality it symbolizes, a human soul Willing God's will. The most beautiful thing in all creation is the soul of a saint. That's you and me, brothers and sisters, doing the will of God. And let me say, if you're like me and you're looking around the world around you, don't we want to see God's will on earth being done as it is in heaven? We've been horrified over the last couple of days of the shootings in Milwaukee and Buffalo, of the war in the Ukraine. This is all man's will. This is all self-centered. This is all my name. This is all my kingdom. This is all my will. And it's God's people living out God's will that's going to bring impact and change. It's through us that God will bring revival. It is through us that God once the kingdom of heaven knows that others are attracted to it, that we become the aroma of Christ in our culture. It's as we begin doing the will of God ourselves. You want your neighbors to change. You want your children to change. We need to change. As we do that, we will become people who can have wisdom. We might become much bolder than we ever thought we were as God wills his will in us. We might do things we never thought we would be able to do, but unless we're willing to be willing, it's not going to happen. 
Do I hear an amen? Do I hear an amen? God, help us. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray. Father, I just say to you now, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have taught us this prayer. Thank you that you prayed what you actually accomplished in showing us what it is to be truly human. Would you, Lord, through the work of the Spirit and the instruction of the Word and the encouragement of other saints, would you now, Lord, make us a people willing to do your will? May we, Lord, reflect the character of heaven on earth as we begin to do these things out of the principles of love that you teach us, out of the principles in your word to serve, to consider others, to, to look upon things in a way in which we see them with an eternal perspective. Help us, Lord, we pray. Make us people of your word. Make us people of prayer that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that we can pray this prayer, be at work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.